Hi everyone, welcome back to Chat Shit Get Fit and welcome back to Chatting with PTs. This is a series where we chat with health professionals from a wide range of backgrounds about a wide range of topics. This week we talk to the owner of Roadman Cycling, a very successful coaching business and podcast of the same name. So Anthony Walsh is a former pro cyclist from Ireland and his main mission through all of his platforms is to improve health, happiness and longevity through cycling. Basically not just improving your cycling but looking at everything surrounding health and as he goes on to say in the podcast, cycling is now just a tool to improve health, happiness and longevity. We of course dive into his top three gym pet peeves and one of them gets a big 10 out of 10 from myself and Tom on the RPC scale and yes the RPC scale is back so I look forward to that. We then explore his story of how he came to love cycling going from a career in law to getting a pro contract which did lead us to a mental story of Anthony racing over in the States getting badly injured but somehow ending up in Canada. We also get Anthony's thoughts on the advancement of technology in the sport of cycling and why it's a huge part of his coaching and naturally we do ask about things like Peloton. We finish with the secret questions which involve Anthony responding to your responses to our Instagram questions. What do you think of cyclists and what do you find hardest about riding a bike? Spoiler alert, a lot of it centres around road rage and how when behind the wheel we turn into absolute anarchists. So yeah, a lot of fun in this one, and cyclist or not, there'll be some great takeaways to boost you on your health and fitness journey. Let's get into it. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, how are we doing? Very not well. bad, not bad. Thank you for having me as a guest, guys. As you can probably tell, we've got a guest on back with Chat with PTs, and we've got a former pro cyclist. As I probably you probably heard in the intro of this podcast, I spun some stuff all about Anthony and uh, what he's what he's all about. But we are going to go obviously more in depth for that today. But thanks for joining us, mate. It's a should be a good one. No problem. It's nice to be on the other side of the microphone for once. Pardon, no, yeah. thank you very much. I'm sure we'll talk about your uh, was it five days a week? You said your podcast. Yeah, we're five days a week. Jesus. So you know what? Because it started off as a narrow cycling podcast, and you know cycling is a pretty nichey nerdy yeah, sure. topic. But mm. it very quickly expanded to us trying to answer the question of like, how do we use cycling as a tool for health, happiness, and longevity? So it's actually like take out cycling and insert whatever other fitness vehicle you have there, like running, gym, whatever. So the audience is just, it's so wide for it now that I was getting so many different guests. Like tomorrow, I have a guy, was Ben O'Brien, he was a guest on Joe Rogan a few weeks ago. He's like a hunter. And he's coming on talking about like, you know, maintaining the connection between where your food comes from and the food you're actually having yeah, in your body. Enough, yeah. So yeah, it's just been it's been an interesting journey. Life's never a straight line, is it? Just just to clarify, he's he's like just a hunter. He's not like a cyclist and a hunter. No, no, he's just a hunter, yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't hunter. do both at the same time. Like he cycles to the hunt. Like hand on like the, the the handlebar on one hand and like, you know, an elephant gun in the other. <laughs> it does like the sickest drive-by shooting on like a water buffalo or something. No, I feel like that's a Venn diagram that just never intersects between hunters and cyclists. Yeah. Yeah. For one now. One is very For masculine now. and one is very feminine. I yeah. don't think they intersect <laughs> very well. Uh, a bit like modern jousting, but with an elephant gun. With an elephant, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Well, uh, yeah, welcome to the podcast, Anthony, where it's uh, very much chat shit to get fit uh, with the, the vibe of things. But uh, And we are going to go into more chat and shit now. We're going to start as we start every chat with PT's episode. And as we love to establish our guests' top three gym pet peeves. But we are going to rank these using our ranking scale. So, Tom, what have you got for us this week? Oh, I'll tell you what, we have to go back to the RPC scale here, Bill. Oh, just, yeah? Okay. Just because uh, I'm school. loving Anthony's accent, so we've got to get him to say it. Oh, okay. So, 
Anthony, okay. in the fitness industry, we use the RPE scale, rate of perceived exertion. That's our one cycling too. Yep, on a scale one to ten, like what is the most worst thing ever, uh, we do the RPC scale, which is rate of perceived country. <laughs> so you're obviously you're obviously a course on this podcast right? oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yes yeah. oh yeah oh we're definitely allowed uh, i mean i hope i've never really asked bill but you know like nearly two I, years I in, are, mate, bill, yeah. we, are we allowed to swear bill i mean the title has got a swear word in it <laughs> well that's kind of what i was hoping yeah, yeah. i can't even advertise my podcast at work because of the fucking swear word in the po- uh, podcast <laughs> title got shot myself out, yeah. in the foot here yeah. Yeah, yeah but yeah um rate of perceived country with one being like yeah that's that's all right, actually, but 10 being like, no, that's, that's mega cunty. <laughs> that's really annoying. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So we'll go for it, Adelie. What's your, what's your first gym pet peeve? Obviously, any health pet peeve, really. Yeah, uh, I suppose a lot of ours will be, you know, the intersection of cycling and gym. And I think it's like, I'd call it headless chicken stuff. And, you know, that could be for running, gym, cycling, anything. But I think it's just the idea of not knowing what you're doing, what you're doing. It's just so counterintuitive to any other area in life, you know, no matter what your job is, you have KPIs and you know if you're on track on something. But some lads will literally go to the gym three days a week for 10 years, see fucking zero improvements. Like they don't look any different than 10 years ago, but they'll persist at it. And it's just, it's bizarre. It's yeah, so it's that total lack of direction or yeah, I get that. clarity you, or anything. You're right what you're saying there is how in so many other aspects of life we, we, you don't go in blind, you go in with like education or you go in with guidance, whereas people in the gym they seem to just think they can do it themselves half the time. And they'll yeah, they'll just go in and go rogue and they'll see nothing. Yeah, but it's also like if you're doing anything else in life and you're seeing zero improvement for that <laughs> yeah. long, you would think, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know what? Like if you were painting your house, but there was no paint coming off the brush, you'd be like, you know what? I've been at this for 10 years. Like yeah. I need to go get some paint. I think my paintbrush is broken. That's <laughs> yeah. the real issue. Yeah. It's not me, it's the paintbrush. Yeah. No, I like that. That's good, actually. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those, this seems like a personal attack on people here, but I'm all, I'm all for it. Certain individuals out there, they're listening to me thinking, fuck, that's probably me. I've been at this for 10 years and I've seen, I've seen that result. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably yeah, fuming. Yeah, me painting my kitchen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I mean, yeah, in terms of cuttiness, where do you think, Tom? Was that on the scale for you? Um, I'm going to give it a six because I'm I'm kind of one of those people who I don't, as long as people come to the gym, I'm happy for them. Uh, however, if it's people who like constantly complain that they're not seeing progress mm. and you've they are doing the what's the definition of insanity it's doing the same thing over and over again expecting like you know something to change mm. you know expecting something different so it is annoying when like people keep complaining like i'm just not seeing results it's like well yeah you're just like coming and not really you know you're just doing the same shit over and over again and just not seeing any kind of change here yeah of course uh, so in that regard it's annoying but in general i'm gonna say it's a six for me because i'm a little bit more optimistic i just i'm just glad to be seeing people in the gym so i'm gonna go for six i'm gonna go for six yeah. i want to get a bit higher i think i'm gonna go seven and a half just because yeah de- definition of insanity uh insane people seven and a half i think get, get them there yeah fair enough that's middle ground there yeah a modest a modest start then what do you think anthony happy of our yeah, yeah. yeah happy enough happy enough yeah, like happy enough, can't, yeah. can't complain thought it'd be a bit worse but look what yeah. <laughs> hopefully the next one so yeah. is the three of them with the throw out yeah, three. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, we'll go yeah, I, I didn't actually read your questions. I never read the questions before. Oh wow! Yeah, makes it nice and rule. I just hate it because it seems like that's not how we have conversations. Like I never yeah, show up enough. to the cafe and text me, make the questions before I meet. Yeah, fair just, it seems like that would be a weird conversation to have with mm. me if I text them all the questions. Uh, yeah. So the second one. So I am on the spot on this. So the second one, 
like my mom had told me when I was younger, like she basically told me a lot of stuff that didn't make any sense, but this, this made some sense. She said, don't spend too much time around unhappy or unlucky people. And I think if you have training partners or gym partners who are just constantly like bringing you down, I think it's not a good space to be in. It's auditing your training circle and making sure you're with people who are lifting you up and not bringing you down. 10 straight away. Ten. <laughs> Ten. That is a, yeah. I've, do you know what? Um, I've had someone like that and what's worse is like if we're like kind of both doing the same exercise we're just like doing our own sets in between and it's like I I need to be psyching myself up for like a fucking you know an RPE you know nine squat or something like that and Oh, all I can think about is this fucker's negativity. Uh, so yeah, like that is it's almost like the opposite of hyping yourself up with like, you know, heavy metal music before uh, before a set of squats. No, you just got like this really negative person with you and it's like it, you don't fucking need it. <laughs> you don't need it in your life and you don't need it when you're training either. Yes, yeah, yeah, so that's I, a straightforward ten. That's non negotiable. Yeah. yeah, that is yeah, that is pretty cuntish. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think yeah. Less negativity, yeah. ten. Yeah, we'll go for that. I don't, I don't. You don't need negative people in your life, do you? Especially in the gym environment, it should be a positive place, shouldn't it? Yeah, like it's my that. happy place, my safe space. Yeah, you've come back strong there, Anthony. Big tens there. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm happy with that one. The last <laughs> one, uh, and I see this one in cycling as well. Uh, this is square wheels. Square wheels holds more cyclists back than you know. <laughs> uh, it's a lack of goals. Like if mm. I was coaching an archer, and I said to him, shoot. Like, what's he going to say to me? Like, what am I shooting at? Like, once he knows what he's shooting at, once he's, he knows what he's aiming for, that changes everything. You can start to calibrate and judge one shot, shot against the next. You can start to, you know, make plans for progression. But if you don't know what you're shooting at, sure, you may as well nearly stay at home. And I see that in not just cycling, but gym, running, any other sport. Lack of clear goals. Yeah, like mm. that. yeah, that's that's a good one. I've spoken about that before actually on a YouTube video, I think, uh, and it kind of links to the first one as well, doesn't it? With people kind of not really having any idea of what's going on, and yeah. they're, they're expected. If you haven't got a goal, how can you expect to sort of measure where you're going? You never, you're never going to know if you've succeeded or if you failed, even have you? If you haven't got a goal, so I like that. I mean, sometimes yeah. it's naivety, isn't it? I think I'm going to go seven and a half again, much like I did with the first one. A lot of it is sit just people on, being sitting on the fence, yeah, sitting on the fence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm gonna? I want to sit on the fence with that, but once again, it depends on the context. So, like, I'm happy for people just to come and do the movements if, like, that's just their their enjoyment and just simply come to gym. But if I look at it from, like, a personal training point of view, and I have had it in the past where I've had clients come to me for personal training, but when I actually ask them, like, look, what is your goals? What do you want to get out of this? And I just simply don't get an answer. And because of that, like... What am I supposed to do for them? I've got no framework to work from here. I mean, it, and sometimes it's okay for them to not say to me, look, I want to be able to squat this much or I want to be able to run three miles. They could simply say to me, I just want to feel more confident being able to actually walk through the doors in the first place of a gym, you know, or I just, I want to feel like a, I have a bit more motivation to get on a bike, let's say, or to take up running. Technically, that's a goal, so I'll be happy with that. But sometimes I just don't even get that from them. So in that regard, that's... That's a nine because it does great me. When yeah. someone objectively comes up to me and says, like, I'm interested in like coaching, okay, what do you want to be coached on? And then I just, it's like getting blood from a stone. That can be annoying. <laughs> yeah, like, that can be really annoying. So, what did you say? What did you vote that for? Six, six again. Oh, now, do you know what? Oh, oh, seven, seven, seven and a half. Seven and a half. Yeah, nice. 
Yeah, seven and a half. half the pure sitting on the fence. Fucking that is pure sitting on the fence, saying it. Mm, yeah, we are literally absolutely fence sitters in this podcast. That is proper <laughs> fencing. I don't even know if I've given like a half score before. I think that's a yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, it's that tipping point, isn't it? Yeah, but that's good. Some good ones, there, especially the middle one. That was a punchy one. That yeah, good, good, good pet peeves. Okay, so what we're going to do now, we're going to move on to, I say, a more serious part every single time, but we'll see how the conversation flows. It might go to total <laughs> chaos. Um, we'll start with a question we just recently started asking. It gets some, I found it gets quite a good answer, actually. Is if I was to ask you who is Anthony Walsh, like how would you describe yourself? How would you define yourself as who you are? You know what, that one's getting very meta, isn't it? Because it's like, mm. I, I've ch- I had a, a guy on my podcast last week, Brian Kane Fitness. I'm not sure if you follow him. He's really good. If you don't follow him, he's worse following in the fitness space. He's a gym instructor. Uh, but had a bunch of best-selling books and we were finishing up the chat and we were talking about who you are versus who people see you as i think they're they're quite different because you know if you head off and do this you know epic event we're in such a and you guys are in this as well because you have a podcast and you have social media platforms like why do we feel that need to advertise that we've done that thing why are we not just quietly confident to go and do it on ourselves without putting the podcast out about talking about that so we are constantly trying to project this image of who we are so i i I do struggle with that one like i've definitely not figured it out but i definitely know who i'm not and i've taken sharp turns in my life when i was on a road that i said this is definitely not me so i you know trained as a lawyer and i was working in law for a brief time and you know, law in Ireland is much like UK or anywhere else for law. It's quite a serious profession. It's suits and it's wigs and it's gowns and it's very formal language. And like I immediately had a, you know, a beacon going off saying, this is not you. And, you know, I've had to constantly reinvent myself on different times. You know, again, I went off being a pro cyclist and I came back and I maybe was hanging out with the wrong people around that time. And that's why I kind of had that answer around auditing your friend circle. And I went chasing material wealth. I went chasing what I thought the trimmings of happiness were, you know, like, you know, accumulating big bank balance, trying to accumulate, you know, nice clothes, cars, watches, stuff like this. And I realized, you know, it's not bringing me any happiness. And it was at that point I said, you know what, I'm going to press pause on every single thing I'm doing. I had five businesses at the time, press pause on all them, spent two years when traveling the world with one single focus and that's like the tagline for my podcast now is like how do i use cycling for health happiness and longevity you know i don't have an answer for that but i'm still on that journey of exploration and uh so yeah that's a long way of saying i don't know yeah yeah bro. <laughs> <laughs> i like it that was it's definitely it well, basically asked the questions i think people would best take some stuff there uh, you mentioned your journey which things that we should probably look into i want to kind of go back to the very beginning at the start so was cycling sort of always something you uh you're into i mean obviously you're from ireland people have I'm told then i know cycling there's quite a big thing you've got some really good uh, areas to actually cycle around so does that something you grew up with or yeah so like i got into cycling and i had an interest in it obviously we some of the best riders in the world through the 80s but i kind of missed that period where largely i was too young to remember most of them like we'd world number ones and stuff in cycling uh, but i obviously dreamed of winning bike races and you know professional races in the alps and things like that uh, i think anyone that has a bike you know has those dreams but actually, for me, I often think it's interesting when I'm telling this story because it's nearly like the, the common story arc, like the hero has two journeys. It's the external one that people think we're going for. 
is people thought I was going for you know pro contracts and stuff, but it was actually the internal journey which was a much more important one for me. Was my dad was really overweight. He had an accident when he was uh, in his thirties, and he lost his big toe, a forklift chopped off his big toe in an accident, and he started to put on a lot of weight around then. And I got to see growing up the kind of lifestyle limitations that he had because he was carrying extra weight. So it was like the stuff that, you know, he couldn't do with me and my sister growing up. So when I got into cycling, that was kind of my hard line in the sand. I said, you know, I'm really getting into this to be fit, to be healthy. And it was when I seen the erosion of that, when I had all trying to balance all these multiple businesses, chasing a vision of success, that was my hard line in the sand when I seen, you know what, I'm not a fit, healthy lad anymore. You know, I can't just you know, go out and run 20 miles. I can't just, you know, ride the bike 100 miles today. I'm not that guy anymore. And that's when the alarm bells went off in my head and it kind of sent me on that, you know, journey we talked about to find those answers. So Anthony, you spoke about how you, the way you, the reason you got into cycling, how you were cycling sort of growing up and that. I want to know is, you mentioned a little bit earlier briefly about the law stuff. What I want to know is kind of what led you down that profession as someone who you got quite into cycling, what kind of took you away from that to law? Uh, what took me away from uh, law going towards cycling? Oh, no, going towards law from cycling. Yeah, so no, I actually went the other way. So I went through. Oh, did you? Okay. okay. Yeah, so I went through law school, and, you know, I'm assuming that your education system is similar to ours. Like, I was quite academic in school, and you just get funneled down a path. The more academic you are, the more you oh, get funneled. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah. You know, once I'd had a good, you know, finish in school, I'd finish my degree and, you know, the first class honors degree nobody's really saying to you at the end of your first class honors degree you know what you'll be great at you'll be a great chippy you know you you'll be you'll be a great uh, you know for a bit of plaster on the wall you know nobody those options which you know are great trades and i probably would have been a lot happier doing them uh they are not really career options as you get funneled down that path like at a point that's like you're doing law or you're doing medicine fucking choose they are two options so i went down finished off law and like seven years of university in total and I was from a you know a middle to working class background. Wouldn't have had a lot of disposable income floating around. But law is very much an upper class profession here, as it is pretty much around the world. And at the end of uh, law school, when it's time to go working, I was getting better and better at cycling. And I a lot of my classmates were going on these kind of you know gap years in inverted commas uh, where their parents were paying for them to go traveling around nice places. But for me, that wasn't a possibility. But I got offered a contract with a French team asking me, like, basically, do you want to come over and ride for the team? And we're going to pay your accommodation. We're going to pay your flights. We're going to give you a bike. We're going to give you money for food. Now, I made 50 euro a week. Like, it's not it's not exactly a Premier League salary. And, you know, you can't even buy, if you ever tried to buy food on 50 quid a week, it's not possible. Like, <laughs> I'd gone through university living in my parents' house. So no idea how to budget. Like, if you go to the butchers at the start of the week, like you're screwed. Like you can live off 50 euro a week if you're buying rice, like on Monday. <laughs> so the interesting weeks are when I crashed and you kind of have to choose between bandages and food for the second half of the week. Not a good choice. So while you were doing law then, I'm guessing you were still cycling quite well. You were still cycling quite a lot. What was the, what was like the turning point? What kind of led you to finally, you know, apart obviously going, you went down the, the, the French thing. Was it, was there any sort of indication of you maybe going back to law again? Or was it that from then on you thought, okay, I'm going to stick with this now and then eventually just keep, keep pushing with it? Yeah, I think I found a tread for something that I liked. And cycling mm-hmm. was that kind of tread where I didn't like a lot of the lifestyle. I didn't like to travel. I didn't like to have no money in my pocket, but I loved the bike. You know, I loved, mm-hmm. you know, 
getting on the bike. It's just you feel like a kid again. No matter what age you are, I ride with guys who are eighty years old at the weekend, and you know they they still act like a kid on the bike. It's like it's like being on a trampoline. You know, you can't put smile when you're on the trampoline. The bike is yeah, like true. that, where it's just this crazy vehicle for exploration and fitness. So when I found that, I was like, that's a trade I need to maintain. And that's probably what led me to trying to set up, you know, multiple businesses. Because I thought, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm working for myself, I'm going to have time to ride my bike. And, you know, I had this mistaken belief that I'd have a lot more freedom as an entrepreneur. Well, actually, what I'd done was, you know, I built my own prison cell. I feel you. I get what you mean. I totally get that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, it's like when people go to work in a gym, isn't it? They think, oh, I'm going to be in a gym all day now. I could just train all the time. But that's not the case at all, is it? You end up finding, okay, I've got you less time You end up presenting it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. In most so, ways. Yeah, for sure. So what kind of led you then? Because obviously from doing a bit of research, you, you, you're a former pro cyclist. You're not, you wouldn't be classed as a pro cyclist. Now, what kind of led you to uh, hang up the bike? Um, I'm fully aware it's not a term, but you know, <laughs> what led you down yeah, that no, way? No, you would say hang up the wheels, hang up the bike. I think that's legit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Cut I, the I spokes. I, so I, I had a bad crash when I was in the States uh, racing for a US team. I broke a bunch of bones. Actually, it's a funny story because I crashed in the US and I was on the ground like a you know, collapsed lung, broken shoulder, broken collarbone, bunch of broken fingers, broken ribs, pretty fucked up. Uh, by anyone's standards and i'm on the ground and the doc the ambulance is there at a race anyway because bike races are dangerous the doctor comes over or medic or i'm not sure if he's doctor or medic but he's assessing me anyway and he's like what do you want to do and i was like how do you mean what do you want to do like you know i already want to go to the cinema like i want to go to the hospital uh and he's like do you have health insurance yeah and i was like it's oh, a big deal out there <laughs> it's a big big deal out there and i was like i did have health insurance but then my legal kind of mind was kicking in and going oh the terms and conditions in this health insurance now i'm rocking up from a professional bike race dressed like a cyclist i'm like i'm not sure if this covers professional sporting events and he's like if you're not sure the bill could be north of 300k for your injuries Jesus. i was like fuck me that's a mortgage like yeah, uh, yeah. so I was like oh man what am I going to do here and he's like best thing you can do is if you know someone here get in a car and drive eight hours to Canada so I had a mate that was at the race he put me in the back seat with a bottle of whiskey and a load of painkillers and we drove eight hours across the border to Canada like I went to the hospital and should have kept me in for like two weeks or so see stories like that which make uh, makes me realise like how like <laughs> sometimes like I, I underappreciate the NHS you just <laughs> don't don't realize at the time like if something like if if i fell down the stairs now and broke my leg in the uk it's like oh, obviously i'm in a shit state but you know just go to hospital but you know if i was to do that as a u.s citizen let's just say fucking hell i'm in shit state and i'm thinking oh but also my bank account yeah you know, yeah yeah i take it for granted but it's a short place to be because even you know staying on that health system thing you know if you have some sort of niggle that you're like oh will i get checked out will i know you don't want to be thinking like Ah, uh, fuck the electric bills due on Friday. Yeah. Should I go to the hospital or not? Yeah, it's horrendous. It's shocking that that's actually, you know, we're still, yeah, just, a thing. Yeah, still a thing. Yeah. Mm. So is that the main reason you, you reckon you sort of stood away from the, the pro cycle? You know, that, that made me pause and think. And for me, the dream was never really, as I said, the dream was never really to win in Tour de France. The dream was just to knock a bit of traveling out of it for a few years. And I was sort of four years down that rabbit hole of traveling around and then it's such a dangerous sport anyway so the risk to reward for me wasn't really lining up plus i was in the u.s and the u.s you know it, it's it's a fucking long way from home when you're broke 
when you're not earning good cash because you can't travel back and forward. So I was missing friends, birthdays, weddings, graduations, parents' anniversaries. So look, I was a bit homesick. It was the crash, but it was also, my vision was never to be that pro cyclist. My vision was really just to be a healthy, happy dude. And that's why I took up cycling. And that's why it was such a double-edged sword when I came back and set up these businesses. And I ended up actually eroding the very fucking thing I set out to do was to be a healthy, fit, happy person. So, yeah, it was uh, not a hard decision to quit cycling. Uh, and it was a hard decision to quit all those businesses, though, in the, you know, a few years later, because I was kind of like, fuck, I'm starting back at zero here. And, you know, zero, if you're from an upper class family, the safety net's quite high. Zero, if you're from a, you know, middle to working class family, it's like, right, I'm, you know, my parents pass away here in a car crash next week. You know, I could be finding myself homeless here very fast. Was when when did you actually give up then? What year was that that you you uh, gave up? Twenty uh, twenty fifteen ish. Okay, so you started your business before you because I noticed it was uh, twenty twelve, wasn't it? You set up a something called A One Coaching. Yeah, is, so, is that right? Yeah, so I set that up as nearly a business of necessity because I set that up sure. because law school loans kicked back in and I was still racing pro, and I was like, shit, the pro dreams about to end very fast if I can't figure out how to make some cash while I'm traveling. So cycling coaching companies weren't a thing then. I don't know if there was any cycling coaching companies. So I needed to figure out how to do it, but I also needed to figure out that I don't actually have time to coach people because I'm trying to be training all day. So I kind of came up with a weird model where, it, like, you know, gyms would do where you bring someone else in to do the personal training. You know, the gym's actually not, the gym owner's physically not doing the personal training. So I set up the coaching company, hired a bunch of coaches, even though I didn't have any clients. Then went, went finding the clients and paid the client, the coaches a portion of the client's fee each month. And I kind of got lucky because cycling just took off. Team Sky launched in the UK around then. And cycling just took off worldwide. And the coaching company, the coaching company is still going, but I've rebranded it. Uh, It was A1 Coaching. And then I set up the podcast about, you know, 18 months ago, two years ago. And the podcast, you know, it's a couple, you know, we had like 400,000 downloads a month or something on the podcast. So the podcast is like blown up. And the podcast was called Roadman Cycling Podcast, and the coaching company was called A One Coaching. So it was like it made no sense to have the two different names. So the podcast actually ended up eclipsing the the coaching company. So I changed the name of the coaching company to Roadman Cycling. Oh, but they're both they're both the same thing essentially, just a different name. So it's exactly. carried on A One. Oh, okay, got you. Mate, well, that makes does does make sense, yeah. Because if people go from your podcast, they'll be like, oh, okay, that's the company that the podcast host runs exactly. makes more sense yeah that's pretty yeah, cool yeah. and uh, it's good. our main like right now i don't really have to, we don't really do much marketing now because the podcast you know you're ba- we're basically always at capacity or close to capacity on coaching because the podcast you know listeners just fill it with looking for coaching yeah that's that's, that's absolutely perfect there isn't it you've attacked mm-hmm. that niche because you said cycling could be seen as quite a niche thing if you, if you attack it well um like you've done then yeah you've basically just got a constant flow now of clients just from the podcast which is uh, yeah and, and you know what we don't about when we're rebranded as roadman which i think made a huge difference there's a lot of cycling coaching companies sprung up in that sort of four or five year period. You know, although we were one of the first, a lot sprung up, became highly saturated. But mm. maybe it mirrored the evolution of my cycling career as well, where I wasn't cycling to win bike races anymore. I'm actually just cycling to be healthy. But I realized yeah. that cycling is just one part of a framework to be healthy. And I love this kind of framework idea because you guys do it in you know the gym all the time as well if someone comes into you and wants to be ripped, you know, to show you a picture of Brad Pitt and Fight Club, they're like, I want that. You're like, lifting weights doesn't get you that. It's a framework to get you that. Lifting weights is one step in the framework. You still need to sleep. You still need to eat. You still need to hydrate. You still need to take your supplements. So it's a step-by-step system, like you know baking a cake. It's not one ingredient. 
So I, when I went on that sort of journey of discovery and looking for answers to that question, how do I use cycling for health, happiness, and longevity? I found that it was very much a framework that I needed. So the framework that I talk about on the podcast and that we you know, teach clients, it's kind of a five-point framework where it's cycling is only one part of it. And that's why I'm able to have these conversations with guys like you because the second part of it's strength and conditioning. The third part of it is motivation. The fourth part of it's nutrition. And the fifth part of it's biohacking. So the fifth part of it's stuff like uh, photobiomodulation, grounding, cold exposure, saunas, specific morning and evening routines to optimize your sleep and you know make sure your serotonin and melatonin are firing at the right times so you're waking up and falling asleep at the right times. And it's that sort of five-point framework that gets somebody that outcome they're looking for. When I think a lot of people in every sport, you know, they they end up just focusing on the one thing. They just go into the gym and think that's going to get them a result. When you know, you guys know it's you know you can't out train a bad diet. And even if your diet and your training is on point, if you're sleeping like shit and your cortisol levels are through the roof, you're not going to get a result either. So you know, it's it's all part of that sort of framework. Yeah, I think that's probably why you've been very successful with the roadman cycling because I think a lot of trainers, even if, if cycling, PT, whatever, is that they'll very easily just look at that one slice of the cake almost and be like, okay, this is all this is all it is. When, as you said, that you just listed a whole you know magnitude of things there which people don't normally look at and that can have a massive difference. I've, I've ended up even like uh, getting out the house because I was like, where's my layers of friction for getting this stuff done? And I tried to build you know as many routines as I can. I'm not sure if you guys read this book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. Gary Keller has the author. It's a, I'm not sure if you haven't read it. It's a brilliant idea. It's this idea that we have uh, we type one and type two decision making pathways, and it'll resonate which as soon as I you know explain what it is. So, uh, type one decision making pathways are stuff that's very automated. We need a lot of willpower to do, and we need a lot of you know we need a lot of glycogen going to the brain to make these decisions. An example is when you start learning driving a car, and if it's manual, there's you got to like you know it's clutch, okay, cross gear one, okay, clutch mirrors. It's very you know cerebral but after a few months you're doing that it's like you know you could be on your phone you could be doing your lipstick looking out the window listening to the radio you know you've taken something that was very deliberate and you've automated it as a behavior so you've changed it from a type one decision pathway to a type two decision pathway and so that's what i try and do with a lot of my routines it's where i'm like habit stacking where i you know i get up early in the morning i know it's important for me to rise early to uh, journal and you know so i'm journaling i'm getting up early so there's two things but now i'm like how can i habit stack how can i add something else good onto this but uh, instead of me trying to do 10 things in the morning because i'll just come undone it's very much like that driving example where i just add one new thing into the morning routine where i'll you know maybe purposefully you know brew a coffee or where i will you know put four points in my journal that i'm grateful for and, you know, if you look to my morning routine now, you'd be like, how the fuck do you do that every morning? That's insane. But it's been a really slow process of me just adding one more positive thing each time. And then the same in the evenings, like the alarm goes off on the phone, you know, about three hours before I'm going to go to bed. And then it begins this ritual of slowly starting to wind down, trying to live more ancestrally. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got you. Probably, I think, I think I'm sure we've mentioned it before about the power of habitual change and why people seem to struggle mm-hmm. so much is because they have very unrealistic expectations of how long it should take i mean we know habits can take a very very long time it's a very slow process but it's very powerful once you get there and i don't know if it's because of things like social media for example which have given people unrealistic expectations on how quickly you can build these habits and get into the the shape of your life and all these you know buzzwords and stuff i think it's important yeah to to take your time it sounds like a good book though um if people what was that book again just uh, just for our listeners just if they want to check it out thinking fast and slow okay yeah sounds Mm -hmm. interesting yeah for sure definitely i'll check that out 
Now, speaking of your coaching methods, Anthony, I want to talk a little bit about um, technological advancement. Um, and I want to kind of know is how has it changed the game for you, not only in your sort of training and coaching, but in your actual cycling yourself when you actually get on the bike? Like cycling is the most data-driven sport in the world. Uh, every single thing is weighed, measured. You know, I was speaking to uh, a friend of a friend the other day and he was talking about uh, mixed martial arts and obviously over in Ireland, uh, Conor McGregor is a big mixed martial arts star. But one of Conor McGregor's inner circle is a guy called Julian Dalby. And Julian Dalby is an ex-cyclist, ex-Irish national champion. And a buddy was telling me the story of how he got involved. He basically looked at what McGregor was doing and he was training like any fighter in the history of like fighting had trained where he was training really hard, going on camp, getting ready for the fight. And then after the fight, the kind of the Ricky Hatton model, he was stacking on a load of weight, going on the beer, partying, and then trying to get ready for the next fight. So this guy came along and said, look, there's a different way to do this. Cyclists, you know, are nailed on data. They're nailed on being in good shape all year round. And he applied that to McGregor and really totally professionalized what he does. But we measure absolutely everything, like measuring, you know, from wearables like Aura Ring, where you're measuring, you know, first thing in the morning, heart rate variabilities, heart rate, steps during the day to you're, you're measuring your hydration level all day, really. You know, probably similar to you guys in gym, you have hydration goals. Like I literally have a bottle and I have times written on this big, huge bottle, like 1 p.m., 2 p.m., 3 p.m. I need to be through that amount of water by those times. Uh, and then on the bike, everything's measured, you know, from the second you get on the bike, heart rate's measured. And then we have power meters built into the pedals. So we have strain gauges built into the pedals that measure the application of force on the pedal. So by doing that, we can, as coaches, prescribe much more accurate sessions to somebody. Because instead of me saying going out and trying at a zone four heart rate, because heart rate is so affected by a multitude of things, like how did you sleep the night before? You know, what's your cortisol level like? Stress Maybe you had a fight with the missus. Maybe you're, you know, stressed on work. Heart rate's up. Caffeine spikes. You know, millions of things spike. The power meter isn't spiked by any of that. It's just the application of force on the pedals. So I can prescribe them a zone four session of power, and it's going to be absolute. It's going to be, you know, from on Monday, uh, if I tell them, you know, do an interval of 400 watts versus Friday, if I tell them to do an interval of 400 watts, it's going to be the exact same effort will go out both days. And... And then we take all that data and then as a coaching company and then we use that data to model at when an athlete is going to be in peak performance. And this is a really a trickle-down uh, science from the top performers in the world. Like if you think, you know, Chris Froome, Michael Phelps, any of these guys, they can't. the commercial interests are too high in sport now for somebody to show up on game day, on Olympic final day and hope they have a good day. You know, you yeah. can't do that anymore. <laughs> It's totally reverse engineered. So you're figuring out, like I know statistically, if I push someone 10% extra next week, what's the percentage chance they're going to get sick? It's mo- cycling is money ball all over. Like, yeah, okay. yeah. Was it was it always so when you first started? Was it like that? Or was this how long? How recent is this sort of this advancement? It's always been like leaps ahead of other sport. I came from. I was trying to make as like a pro soccer player. It was never really happening. Pro soccer player in Ireland is basically like League Eleven in the UK. So I was playing <laughs> up to pro level in Ireland. Uh, but you know, we had nothing. Like we had no dietary advice. Nothing. Like even now in the coaching company, like or as the I'd say, I'm nearly a guinea pig for the podcast for myself. Like even at, at the moment, like I'm measuring ketone levels, blood sugar levels. You know, with little lancets every day and seeing what the effect certain foods have on my blood sugar levels because they're obviously related to your 
alertness levels, your cognition. I work with a lot of guys who are, you know, high performers. They're, you know, Wall Street investment bankers or London investment bankers. They're trying to just get extra percentages out of themselves. So we're experimenting with a lot of data-driven models like that to help them just get a little bit extra out of themselves. But the application of it's brilliant because, you know, you don't have to be an investment banker. Like, you're the jobs you have to do in the day are the most important thing in the world to you. You don't give a fuck about someone's trade on Wall Street. Like, you know, if you have to mind the kids, but you're also trying to work on your novel in the evening, if you can squeeze an extra little bit of alertness out of yourself, you know, that could be the difference between you being the next JK Rowling and, you know, being the next yeah, sure. girl down the social. So you're kind of saying is that cycling's always, I, I've never really looked at it, I'm not, I'm not into cycling massively, you could say, but I never realized how, far ahead it really was then in terms of, of mm-hmm. data but so it makes sense for the way the way it looks especially when I mean, you look at all the bikes you see in the gyms for years and years and they've always had the most sort of feedback in terms of watts how much power is going through each leg they've always been like that opposed to any other machine in the gym i found i mean even in the field of research like uh, cycling's always been relatively prevalent i mean you look yeah. at things like the wingate test etc it's very controllable i think that's what's led to the scientific advancements in it where you take something like soccer, there's a multitude of, you know, the stuff you can control, but then there's stuff you can't control, uh, where cycling hasn't had that. Like, I, data has been a part of cycling, I'd say, since early 80s. It started getting, it was a traditional sport, but it started, you know, pushing the envelope in terms of being early adopters in heart rates, and then early adopters in power meter technology, which now, you know, is across, you know, ski machines, it's across roan machines, these strain gauges are built into all these like the first power meter I bought for my bike, I was super early in getting a power meter. I think it was the first one in like Ireland to get it. And uh, I was in college, I had no money, and it was like two and a half thousand euro for a power meter. And you know, I hadn't got 20 euro, so I went to the bank and I hope the bank manager was not listening. I had to falsify a loan application, told them I needed a car to go to university, and sunk it all into this power meter. Oh, <laughs> but it was, you know, off the back of it, I, I didn't know how to use it even so even getting access to the scientific papers to understand how to use it was a challenge. But mm. it's, you know, I don't believe I had a whole pile of talent. I just think I trained, you know, a little bit better than everyone else. Uh, but now I'm seeing the application of this on our clients. And this was a real turning point for me when I realized that coaching could be a full-time sustainable, you know, career for me. Because up to probably two years ago in A1 coaching, we were coaching kids who wanted to go pro. And it was a mate of mine and think you're most degenerate mate right now. Uh, the guy, you know, he says he's a social drinker, but he's drinking like, you know, 10 a.m. on a Monday morning. Like this, this, <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the only, he thinks crisps are a macronutrient. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I, this lad, and he reached out to me and he's like, oh, you know, all that fancy stuff you're doing with the pro cyclists you're working with and things. And he wasn't even a cyclist. He didn't even know the terminology for what I was doing and i was like yeah yeah and he's like will you do that with me and i was like no nah, get fucked i'm not doing that with you not a chance and he's like no honestly like i want to turn my life around i want to get fit and i was like no i'm not doing it so he literally hounded me and i said fuck it i'll do it we go six months and he's like i've a bit of cash to sink into this so i'll get whatever equipment you need let's do it six months and when i'm working with you know pro athletes or these kids we're getting like a one percent improvements uh, they might lose like a kilogram or two kilogram you know drop their body fat from eight percent to seven percent and it matters in pro cycling these margins because it's a margins game but i worked with him over the course of 12 months he lost 45 kilograms and he lost 45 kilograms then it but it was the stuff he, his power went through the roof like added like 400 percent onto his uh, sustainable one hour power okay. oh, yeah, but wow. it was actually the stuff you couldn't measure what got me hooked on it 
because he said, you know, he, he got quite vulnerable. And he's like, I hope he's not listening. He probably won't want me saying this. He's like, I hadn't had sex with the missus in like six years because I was fat. I was miserable. I just had no self-esteem. He's like, and he's like, we're at it like teenagers now. <laughs> and then off the, off the back of that, his confidence was back. And he said he started speaking up in meetings and he got a, a, a promotion in work. So I just had this moment going, fuck, this, the, the science that's trickled down from the top of this game, it's more important than trying to you know get the next uh, Stephen Roach to win a bike race. It, this has the ability to really change people's lives on scale. And that's when I was like, fuck, this is actually my calling. And you know, this is why I'm you know, giving up my time free on podcasts like this to share that message because it, it's a fucking powerful message. You don't have to be stuck in that rut just because you hit a certain age. It's you're not predestined to be unhappy or start this slow decline towards death after you hit forty. Yeah, that's awesome. That's basically the power of the, the all those other aspects you spoke about. People will look at things like a cycling coaching come and think, oh, they're just there to get you really good at cycling. But you're as you're so you've gone onto. There's so many other things, and you've even seen it, how much impact it has on people's lives just because of things that have trickled from the top. People always yeah, look it, at the top. That's what they see on TV. But it's more than that when you go down to the grassroots sort of level. I yeah, I just use cycling as a tool now. And mm. you know, yeah. it's, it's that tool for health, happiness, and longevity. It's Even if you don't love cycling, it's like, you know, there's plenty of shit I don't. I didn't love going to school, but the byproduct of going to school was worth it. It's the same, even if we've one or two clients now that don't love cycling, but you're like them. Yeah, you, you love you looking good again. You love, you know, not being self-conscious when someone takes out a camera. You love the energy you have, you know, that not being distracted is a huge one. People just think that's a part of life, you know, flicking on social media, distracted all day. But, you know, it's the symptom of a problem, like, and, you know, our systems go to address these problems. Speaking of cycling coaching systems, what do you think of Peloton and things like Peloton? What are your thoughts? I think that, so they're doing a good job in onboarding a new demographic into cycling into the world of cycling cycling for me you know i'm on the far side of this bridge i've made that transition and i love cycling i'm romantic about cycling the history of cycling the tradition and i've seen the power of a change in people's lives now as a tool so like i'm a complete evangelist for it and we have a whole industry in cycling that's so insular and you know we've all these bike manufacturers you've giant specialized cervello and each year they're basically competing for the same customer base they're, it's yeah. just musical chairs the, the industry's not getting any bigger and then you get a company coming along like peloton and they're largely demonized within the cycling world but what they're doing is they're onboarding like my next door neighbor has a peloton you know they're onboarding yeah. a totally new type of person into this world and maybe after a point they go you know what peloton shit but now this has introduced me to this whole other world you know i think the active community is so fucking small that we don't need to subdivide it and go we're good and they're shit i think anyone should be applauded for trying to you know better themselves be a little fitter today than they were yesterday so i mean things like peloton is uh yes yeah, that's like an extra gateway for people mm-hmm. that would be actually you know interested in uh cycling in general i suppose i mean peloton is doing i want to say it's doing quite well at the moment i know it's taken a recent dip due to uh events on tv bill do you have any idea what i'm talking about no what are you talking about Really? Oh, no. hell. Right, bear with me, boys. But uh, basically, <laughs> one, of the, one of the main characters in uh, Sex in the City had a heart attack um, when using their Peloton, and Peloton sales actually dipped. Right, really? Yeah. I know. It's fucking wild, ain't it? 
but uh, yeah, Peloton. I quite like the idea of it. I mean, um, I mean, you know, and then they comparing Peloton to actually, you know cycling i suppose it's like comparing treadmill running to you know going road running but uh you know it's one of those things where it kind of i don't want to say lowers the barrier to entry to cycling because pelotons are fucking expensive but it piques people's interest it could be a a gateway drug to yeah. actual cycling well, you know <laughs> so have, have you guys uh have you ever looked into the blue zones or have you ever heard of blue zones i haven't no Blue zones are fucking fascinating, lads. You should nearly do a full podcast on them. They're so interesting. So blue zones are areas in the world where people live the longest, where they have the highest concentration of centurions, so people that live beyond 100 years of age. So these are areas like Okinawa in Japan, Sardinia in Italy. Uh, so they just popped up on Google, yeah. Already, <laughs> Sardinia. Yeah. So it's, it's fucking amazing. So what you know, smart motherfuckers, a lot smarter than me have done, is gone out there and they've analyzed common trends among the blue zones. What are the commonalities in these areas? So, you know, obviously there are, they're geographically located, difference, they have different habits, they have different traditions, customs, but what are the common ones among these blue zones? And they've gone out and analyzed those, and I try and weave them into, you know, my teachings in the podcast, but also what we use. But Peloton have cleverly done it as well. Like one of the, the commonalities is social connection and community. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah and sure. it's so so important if you look at sardinia and italy they have these long slow dinners where you know you're you're just all evening eating your dinner like and you contrast that to how we do that in the Ireland and the uk it's so different like we spoke mm-hmm. about this on the we did an episode on a mediterranean diet yeah, mediterranean wasn't it? diet yeah. yeah and we that, like how these that, long slow dinners mm. yeah and what that's why they then people in them areas tend to have you know, overall health markets tend to be better yeah. because yeah maybe it's that that social thing which is huge i think yeah peloton is right eating etc move on Anthony to the final part of the show and now this is I was going to say secret questions but you didn't read any of the questions so these are all secret questions to you they're all (laughs) all secret secret. to you yeah but uh, normally this is the part where we sort of throw a couple of random questions which could be good could be bad could be comical who knows it could go all wrong we have to edit it out but my secret questions are actually listener submitted questions or responses so I'm going to try and get some uh, information from the expert himself so I asked uh, what did I what what did I ask that's the question so I ask people what they think of cyclists. Now I want you to uh, let me know your thoughts. Let me know your thoughts on some of these comments, Anthony. <laughs> Spoiler: Be, be ruthless, mate. Be ruthless because these people listen. So you know, if you want to have a go at them, have a go at them. They can take it. Um, oh, the first one's actually really nice. Someone put "cool as fuck" signed a cyclist. So obviously, no, <laughs> that, that's to be expected. Uh, like asking the barber. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Though, and that's a bit of a hotel. <laughs> yeah. uh, someone put "no one likes us. We don't care." It's fair enough. He's proud, proud cyclist. Oh, this is a good I like this one. Yeah. Um, I love getting out for a ride, but the massive groups of TDF wannabes are turbo shitheads. <laughs> <laughs> have you come have you come across a lot of those? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's but it's again, it's it's segmenting that community, and that's why I don't like like you know I'd often ride the gravel bike off-road, and you ride, you know, walking trails, which are largely deserted in the mountains. And yeah. you get people walkers fucking shouting at you, and you're like, there's few enough of us outside in the mountains like you don't need to say you're shy and i'm good like you know we can all just enjoy the fucking outdoors yeah. like and it's road rage is a big thing with uh, you know uh, with cyclists and cars and you know i i read a lot of stoke philosophy and stuff and i try and be fairly chill about it and just go you know what well, fuck it he's probably on the way to picking up his pregnant wife uh, and she's running to the hospital and or you know he got some really bad news and give them the benefit of the doubt but it's just 
you know, it's such a fucking random throw of the dice, you know, because people will, you know, buzz past you, you know, a centimeter to spare, give you shit and be happy to throw down at the next traffic lights. And you're like, you could be, I'm sure you're a hard motherfucker and you're getting out of your car, but it's like, how much of a random throw of the dice is it to fight a complete yeah, right, stranger? Yeah, people like, don't think that. Difference yeah. between a, the difference between a trained and an untrained fighter is fucking insane. Like, you know, I fight with guys, you know, gone to the, I have a funny story actually, a buddy of mine, he's tiny, but he's been to the Olympics in boxing. So, out, and this, you know, bit of road rage going on, and he's just the calmest, because he's actually a fighter, he's the calmest lad, and he's just mm-hmm. so chill. Uh, I actually wasn't on this spin, but, uh, he said it's just, it had kicked off and escalated to the point of, he's chatting to this driver and he, there's no calming him down. And he said out of nowhere, this big Eastern European Polish motherfucker just comes sprinting <laughs> at him out of the back of the van, and ready to throw a haymaker at him. And he's like, there was nothing I could do. He's, as he's telling me this story, he's like, there's nothing I could do. He's like, I had to put the lad down. And I was like, how do you mean? He's like, he just came at me and swung and he's like, I didn't even know what I was doing. It was instinct. He's like, I just ducked. I caught him an uppercut. He's like, fast forward two minutes later, I have my jacket under his head. I'm patting his forehead going, it's going to be all right, mate. The ambulance is on the way. <laughs> <Glad's> that. <laughs> oh. That's a really good point. I think that's a really good point that people should take away. That The seriousness of that is that next time you have a go at a cyclist, you don't know who they are. They could, they could be the hardest fuck. They could be the hardest yeah. fuck you've, you know, yeah. you've ever met. Um, so just take a, take a moment to breathe. Relax. Calm down. The world's not going to end. Like McGregor, we spoke about McGregor mm. earlier. Like he's a cyclist as well. Like you rip, you rip him up on the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wasn't there actually? A, there was actually a video going around of him in a, the US somewhere cycling, and people were heckling him. It's like out of all the people yeah. people to heckle, like out of all the cyclists to heckle, why are you heckling a fucking UFC champion? <laughs> But it's such a bizarre thing in general, I think. Like, yeah. it's oh, it's just giving a fuck when it's not your turn mm. to give a fuck. Like, why do you care what someone else is doing? Mm. Like, you know, it's just, it's such a bizarre peeve to have. I you know, that stigma. Yeah. Yeah, they're slowing me up. Like, it's like, get out of your car. Like, you, <laughs> yeah. like mm. go and do something yeah, active. Exactly. Like, you're, yeah. you're, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no net good coming of you being in that car. Like, I know your petrol's gone through the roof. Yeah, so yeah he's laughing now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is very true. Get out and cycle. But the yeah. thing is, we all wear so many different hats. Like, I'm not sure if you lads ever cycle, but, like, I drive as well. It's not like, oh, fucking cyclist, and that's all I do. You know, I'm out on the bike, but then, you know, I'm a driver later on that day. So it's such mm. a bizarre, you know, distinction to draw. I don't think people actually see cyclists as human. They're the worst offenders. I don't think they see them as somebody's son somebody's husband somebody's wife i think they just hate him as a fucking obstacle an inconvenience, in their way. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah I, I and i think that's the problem when you start seeing them as oh shit my son cycles and now it people are a lot more courteous and we have been getting this in the last few years because we're getting critical mass on the roads like almost everyone knows someone who cycles now and because of that now you're starting to personalize them and going oh fuck you know Young fucking Eddie's young lad Joey cycles. That could be him that I'm fucking chopping up. And they across. just changed the rule. The the rule. Oh, anyway, the UK they've changed the the rules, haven't they? So you can like you're allowed to cycle in the middle of the road, aren't you? I think is the. Oh, that was going to be my secret like, question. Are we going to say God it? jump in? Go. Yeah, I just wanted to get my. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the the new uh, law about cyclists can now ride side by side. Uh, yeah, next to each other. I mean. Personally, what do you think about it? Good idea or bad idea? We've been doing it anyway for years. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Like, I know. <laughs> like, I think you should occupy the same space on the road as a vehicle because it's, 
and I will go and take the full lane because like a safe passing distance is 1.5 meters. And mm. most of the roads around Ireland and the UK, you can't pass the cyclists if they're single mm. file and give them 1.5 meters without going out into the far lane. So if you're going into the far lane, it doesn't matter if they're taking the whole road or not. So by them going into the center of the road, they're removing that choice for you to do a dangerous pass. So, you know what, but it's only confident cyclists that actually yeah, do right. take that whole lane because if you're a newbie, you're glued oh, to yeah, water. Yeah. That's why I cycle. Comes past and gives you, <laughs> yeah, and then someone comes past and gives you like a centimetre to spare and you hit a shore and it's fucking down you go. Yeah. The consequences are bad when you hit the ground. Like, you know, it's... Mm. even oh, yeah. a light crash can fuck you up biomechanically yeah, for, for sure, a long yeah. time basically takeaway from that point is be, be kind in general yeah I think I think people get a different I don't know what it is but when people behind behind the wheel of a car it's, it's changed it's like a different person yeah it's like normal people like I was out trying a few years ago right and now none of this should have happened none of this was right a buddy of mine you know he's a hothead he's not you know, I think people have a stereotype of who cyclists are they're very upper to middle class and they're you know wearing Rafa kit and they're loaded but you know actually good cyclists is quite a working class sport and especially around Europe it's quite a working class sport so none of this should have happened but this car went past him close pass shouldn't have happened right his response to a close pass should have been go and have a quiet word with the driver at the traffic lights instead he decided to smash your man's wing mirrors off when we stopped at the traffic lights I was like right that's not cool because that's an escalation but then what your man done next was the craziest shit I've ever seen he stopped at the traffic lights I was behind them now so my buddy's gone ahead the traffic lights go green and he sat there for 20 seconds obviously just contemplating what am I going to do here and he just thought fuck it and he hit the accelerator full gas went through the back of my buddy who went over the car through the windscreen fucking skidded to a stop you know we sprint up to the car i'm going to try and fucking open the car to get out and he's like chill out chill out he's like rolls down the window hands me his keys and says call the cops call an ambulance and i was chatting to him the dude looked like santa claus and he obviously just had this red mist to send over yeah. he wasn't a fucking killer but he nearly killed someone and it's something happens behind the wheel it's weird how vehicles make us react i mean we don't act like this when we're i remember there was an advert years ago about road rage like you wouldn't act like this just bumping into people on the street as a pedestrian you know but something about Knocking vehicles out, yeah. just yeah i don't know gives us that sense of like protection almost like where we can lash out but it's okay we're in our big metal box yeah. it's really weird it humans. feels like there's no consequences to it i think you were right yeah that f- that frame of protection literally like imagine you were in the nightclub doing that like yeah you get your head kicked in every week <laughs> yeah yeah you would yeah exactly yeah it's bizarre. It's as, we, uh, as we say very often on this podcast, we, we live, live in a society. society. We live in a society. We do. do, do, do. We live in a society. <laughs> it takes all sorts. Anyway. It takes all sorts. <laughs> it does. Got a couple more, couple more responses here to that question, anyway, Anthony. Uh, someone said, very impressive. I wish my quads could hold out on hills. We'll come on to hills in a second for our next oh, question, don't worry, Anthony. <sighs> uh, and the final person said, they get a hard time. So we've got quite a lot of positive responses there, actually. Well, it's such mm. a popular sport in the UK. Whereabouts are you guys filming? Oh, we're in different. I'm in Norfolk. Yes. And, uh, and I'm in London. West London, so we don't really get any hills. I want to say, I used to. The, the most I've ever cycled, I used to cycle five miles to work and then five miles back alongside the motorway. And uh, I, I used to have what I thought was a hill until I started going up north and I discovered what a real hill was. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so, so different. It, the, the bike changes for you through your, your life as well. Your relationship with changes. For me, when I was a kid and I got my first bike, it was like, you know, now it's a this little vehicle of exploration. It takes you past the confines of your local street. And it's yeah. like magical because it's opening up the countryside for you. I loved it. 
Yeah. But oh, then in college for me, it was like, it was a mode of transport. And then it became a tool to earn a living. And now it's, you know, something to try, you know, fucking carve out an extra bit of happiness. So, but it, it's such a cool way to get around. You know, I yeah. have so many fucking bikes, but anytime I go to London, I always rent a little, either a Boris bike or one of those yeah. old Bromptons. And, you know, you're looking at lads around Soho stuck in traffic, stressed out their mind and, you know, you're listening to your fucking podcast, like, like it's just such a yeah, different yeah. experience to commuting. Definitely, definitely turns on the uh, the locations. Like, I went, I was um, a few years ago when I was in Ireland. You know, the I don't know what it's, I think it's called the Greenway between Waterford and Dungarvan. Yeah. So I did that, and that's amazing. Like, you see things, and then you go back to London, it's just like smog. I've never done yeah. the Greenway. Like, because you never done the Greenway. Uh, no, that's actually it's really it's nice. It's for pure tourists. The only reason to go there would be to rob a tourist. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely tourists. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I've been there. I <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolute normie cyclist. Yeah, but it was good though. I liked it. Yeah, get a good little bike out, a little, little ride out. Yeah. That was the real one. You went with the girlfriend over and we were going to hold hands and yeah. cycle down the greenway. Well, that's what it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she's done it loads of times. Uh, her family, she's got loads of family over there. So we, she does it all the time. She's like, yeah, you really enjoy it. And I was like, just destroying her. You know, when you just go full send and then she's like hanging out at the back, like, oh, please slow down. I'm like, nah, let's go. We've got to get to Waterford. Let's go. Popping a wheelie <laughs> uphill. <laughs> yeah. But no. Uh, and then you come back to, yeah, the UK, London, smog. London's quite nice for riding. It's just you need to know the roads. A lot of pro cyclists base themselves around London. And out around Surrey and stuff's meant to be lovely, like. Yeah, that'll be yeah, Surrey Hills and stuff, yeah, that'll be yeah, that'll be very nice. Where I am now, Norfolk, is just like totally flat. It's probably the flattest place I've ever lived. It's just literally they're just all farms, so it's just everything you can literally just see for like miles is pure flat, which is good if you're cycling because uh, it's a lot easier <laughs> a lot easier on the legs. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Compared to Ireland. But you know yeah. what, this is the misconception that like going uphill is harder and you know the flats are easier. But it's really just how much power you're putting now. And back to those we were talking about mm. the technology and the strain gauges. Mm. You know, if I, I have an effort to do at a 400 watts, it doesn't matter if it's 400 watts going uphill or if it's 400 watts going downhill. It's the same effort goes on. 100 watts is 400 watts. Yeah. So the terrain matters very little. Like I coach guys who are in Doha and they're like, oh, how am I going to be a good climber? I'm like, well, all we're doing is training the ability to put out high power for sustained periods of time. You can practice that on the flat and then go, you know, do a race in the Alps. Uh, we'll move on to hills actually because we're going to go through some other ones I did ask people as well what they struggle with in terms of cycling I thought who better to ask than a cycling coach what, to tackle some of these struggles uh, first one potholes how do you deal with potholes Anthony jump. you uh, fix them yourself jump them jump them yeah. yeah nice jump. sounds like you need a lot of confidence for that though jump over them not um, not into them yeah jump yeah, 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 jump, jump into the bottom yeah. Yeah, jump. I don't want to get the wrong instruction here <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah jump them have you ever, have you ever crashed from a pothole have you Oh yeah, yeah, more times than you know what. If you're racing in a bike race, uh, I seen one. Hard to see, isn't I seen one brilliant pothole crash in a bike race. Uh, may he rest in peace. <laughs> I don't know if he's dead. Fucking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that, that took a turn. Jesus Christ! <laughs> so we were going down a descent, and it was the it was one of the fastest descents I've ever gone down. It was one of the only times I hit over 100 kilometers an hour on the descent. It was completely oh. straight, no corners on it, but it was pissing rain all day. So in the rain, you can't see the potholes because they look like puddles. So mm. he, we were coming down the hill. He was beside me. He hit this like crater that he thought was a puddle. So he thought he was going to glide out the far side of it. It turned out to be quite a deep pothole. And I can only imagine he got vaporized because I've never seen him since. Uh, it was horrific. <laughs> vaporized. <laughs> horrific. I think he went to hospital in a helicopter. The message I'm getting there from that, Anthony, is if you see a puddle, on the road and you're cycling at 100 kilometers an hour, jump it. Even if it's just a puddle, just jump it. Nah, you risk. know what? That can even end up worse because you could yeah. you could jump it 
but jump too early and land right into it. <laughs> and yeah, flip over the handle. But oh god, yeah, quick just swerve. Just avoid puddles in the rain. Avoid paddles. Just just avoid avoid cycling in general. That's what you said. Just avoid it. Don't paddle. You know, and, and this is the thing where you know drivers don't understand that you're if you're riding along, say your tailwind on a you know a dual carriageway, nice surface, and that you're carrying 45, 50 kilometers an hour, which you do on a good bike without much effort. You know, if you're uh, reasonably fit, and there's a puddle in your path. You know, they're just like, they assume by passing you with one foot clearance space that you're going to hold your line. But now you go to swerve around this puddle because it could be a huge hole and he yeah. give, hasn't given you the appropriate space and it's fucking, you know, it's lawsuits all around. Like. This is good, actually. Someone has said they struggle with gear selection during efforts and inclines. Don't even know where to start for this lad. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to tune into the podcast. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he needs to go. This is the roadman cycling. That's what he needs to do. Yeah, uh, gear se- I do. I get that actually because I find that gear selection. Because obviously, what, what is it you want to do? Is it you want to have a higher gear for the uphill? Is that right? You want so we call it cadence. Is the speed your legs okay. turn over in a minute? So it's right. RPM. You probably would have seen on the gym bikes rotations per minute. Hmm. So like, really, you want to hold your rotations a minute between eighty and kind of one ten. Uh, any less than eighty, it's quite a big gear, and it's kind of like you're fucking squatting some real heavy shit. And any more than one ten, you're you're not really going anywhere. Like, uh, so you're trying to keep in that sweet spot. So you're using your gears to keep you inside that sweet spot. And you know the, the gears and the equipment's got so cool. Like we're using electric gears now to send like Bluetooth signals from the shifters back to the derailers and stuff. It's getting super cool. Okay, what's that? You know, automatic. You get automatic bikes. I wonder if that's the thing. Yeah, there, there are some people working on some mad shit where you even just have to think about a gear change and it happens where you're hooking helmets up to neurons and stuff and when they fire yeah. it's gears changing it's yeah it's pretty wild out there but e-bikes are amazing like if you guys don't cycle or someone is listening and they're like oh you know I'm not a very good cyclist e-bikes is a seriously cheap way to get a car off the road cover a good bit of distance get out in the countryside feel good um, because it, I look at e-bikes like a handicap in golf like I have friends who are scratch golfers I can't go out and play with a scratch golfer straight up he gives me 20, hole, 20 shots in a round. You know, now I can go out and play with him. You know, so e- yeah, e-bikes sure. are like that. Yeah, awesome, yeah. For that person who sent that question then go listen to the Roadman Cycling Podcast because you'll probably hear more in depth on how to tackle those those inclines and efforts with your gear selection. Uh, oh, this was pretty much what we've been talking about. They said, arseholes in cars giving you one millimetre of space when they pass. <laughs> yeah, we, we spoke about Nothing you can really do about them, is there? Just uh, hope they don't hit you. Like, you know, I was more reactive to them uh, years ago. Like, you know, you'd be... Sp- banging on the side of fucking cars and stuff but it just it never really ends anywhere good like you end up just escalating and mm. but it's just it ruins everyone's day like you know when i have taken keys out of people's cars you know when they stop to give you abuse reach in the window and take their keys and fuck them into the river or something <laughs> yeah. you know they're just sitting there then like a dick in traffic but you know, you just I don't do that stuff anymore because it's just it's aggro. Like and you just don't need it. Mm. Like and especially yeah, I've sure. ridden in the states uh, for you know quite a few years, and you know people have concealed carry licenses over there and stuff. Yeah. You just don't want to be getting into it. Like I just avoid conflict. I think is fucking just not worth it. Nah, it's not. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My teammates in the US who would go out and you know typically when I'm going out the door, you'd be kind of going right. Have I got a bank card with me in case I need to stop for food? Keys of the house. Have I got a tube in case I puncture? bit of food for eating and that's kind of your checklist in your back pocket but he would have the same checklist plus a gun in his back pocket this is what we were talking about earlier with like the cycling and the hunting then it, that's the man that's the man <laughs> yeah. but he's hunting humans. Him, yeah, yeah exactly. humans yeah the biggest game of all yeah <laughs>
but like he was saying, and I, I can totally get it. You know, he's a college educated, articulate dude, and he's like, if I'm out in Texas training and somebody you know flicks past me in road rash, then decides they don't like my reaction, jams on and pulls out a gun. He's like, what am I going to pull out my pump? He's like, you know, I don't want to be. <laughs> when they say there. pull out your pump, I mean, I think I mean like a pump action shotgun, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> America. So yeah, that's a good point. America just fucked on it. <laughs> I think it just goes back to what you said earlier, Anthony. Like, you, you don't know who you don't know who these people are. Like, you have no idea who you're who you're, you're dealing with. So I think we need to just, uh, yeah, be more kind in general. Calm down, take a breath. Look, there's relax. bad men in every walk of life. There's yeah. lads who are. You know, they're out on the bike just looking for fights. There's lads in cars. <laughs> is it? Yeah, so yeah it is. Like, just... you know, I've, I've ridden with guys, you know, and they're, you know, fresh out of prison and stuff. And they're just, you know, they're tightly wound. And the first thing that happens, you know, they're like a lads who freshly out of prison in a fucking nightclub setting. Or, you know, someone bumps into them and they're just, you know, that guy who's out looking for a fight for the night. You know, it happens in every walk of life. Like, you're going to get idiots that drive you're going to get idiots that cycle idiots to go to the gym idiots in the nightclub you know it's world's full of idiots we live in a society we do indeed we do <laughs> indeed we'll go to the next one Anthony so what's unclipping when you get to a set of red lights I can imagine that's quite difficult uh, no it's not like it, oh. is it not no I taught my girlfriend how to clip and unclip on a like slightly off camber you know what I mean when I say off camber it's just like if you start, you're easier to fall with the sort of uh, direction of the incline. I was teaching her in a driveway uh, at a holiday home, and we were just kind of riding up and down. And obviously, she crashed because it's the worst place ever to try and learn. You want to teach somebody on like grass or something soft, yeah, yeah. but yeah, now after like two minutes, it's super easy. Like first ride is a bit like, oh shit, what's going to happen? What do I do? Well, you literally just rotate your heel and you come out with a pedal. So it's not like people are like, oh, you're locked in. It's like you're not locked in like it's like saying you're you know when you put your key in the hall door like your hand is locked to the door like you know it's not like you just made something up you know you're not locked mm-hmm. into the pedal you just rotate your heel and you're out of that and if you crash like you're the this is people's worry if i crash i'm stuck in the pedal and the bike's gonna act as this huge lever and smash all my legs uh like you just fly out of the pedals if you crash they're not you know they're not uh you're not that secure no, yeah yeah, sure. So, I mean, speaking of clips as well, obviously I've never done it on a road bike, but I find that clips, like people who don't want to use them, they're missing out on a lot of power. Because I find that like a watt bike, if you clip in, you just seem to perform so much better without if you if you don't have clips in. Yeah. So because you're pedaling in both directions, you're pushing down and you're pulling up, so you're engaging your quad yeah. down, and then you're engaging your hamstring on the way up on both sides all the time. So you create momentum. It's interesting you've yeah. uh, you've even used a watt bike. It shows you how mainstream cycling's getting like. Yeah. that's a total nerd cycling tool developed by british cycling and now it's you know you're seeing them in you know pretty normal gyms yeah yeah everywhere yeah yeah they, they, they get used quite a lot the thing i find with them they fucking the, the monitors always break on them oh, the sensors yeah. they're always fucking yeah. oh they do we better. have one and the amount of pedals we go through on like a, <laughs> a six-month basis is just unreal <laughs> yeah the power meter is super accurate yeah. though so like they have really good strain gauges built into it like british cycling are on it like so when they develop oh, that, awesome. it's their really good tool. Actually, having if I flip the camera around, I have them right behind me. What else we got here then? Okay, there's about loads of them. Pretty much people have just put hills, going up hills, hills, hills. It seems like people struggle with hills, Anthony. They're not. They're, they're struggling with hills. Yeah. So how, how do we how do we get up a hill on a bike? So I'm, I'm not sure if you guys use this sort of terminology in uh, you know your coaching your athletes, but so I would look at breaking down uh, training zones for someone and mm. you're training in you know zone one has certain physiological adaptations like 
so training in zone one, you're learning to metabolize fat as a fuel source. You know, zone two has its own associated set of benefits as the zone three. And then zone four, one of the benefits is increased lactate threshold, increased lactate tolerance, increased lactate clearance, a lot of stuff around lactate. So when people say they're struggling with hills, what they're typically referring to is they have poor ability to process lactate or their lactate clearance systems aren't effectively developed. And you get better at that by spending more time in zone four. So you're spending like, you know, instead of going out the door and just riding around kind of hard for an hour and thinking, I've only an hour, I've got to push myself. The problem with that is you default into zone three. And while there's nothing really wrong with zone three, it has a very narrow band of physiological adaptations. Mm. So instead of doing that, if you go out and you ride around super easy in zone one and two, but during that session, then if you do two by 15 minutes in zone four, now you're getting the adaptations from zone one and two, and you're getting that increased lactate threshold from riding in zone four, which means then when you go to tackle a hill and you're exposed to zone four efforts, it's not like a complete shock to the system going, oh my God, what the hell is going on? Yeah, yeah. sure. I think a lot of people struggle as well because they, especially around where I am, they use the bike as a mode of transport to work, for example. Yeah. So they're not really thinking of the zones they're working in. They just, they get to a hill and they're like, fuck. Because they never train for it. It's, like, it's, just a, it's just a sort of a, a nuisance on their way to work, isn't it? Well, that's why the electric bike is quite a good mm. move, like, because you can get to work without pump and sweat, like. Yeah, exactly. I, I know that. I, I literally, with the gym I work at, I normally ride a bike. I think it takes the same time as a bike as it does by a car, because we can cut through stuff. Yeah, put <laughs> um, your red yeah, light. get a bit hot. Do get, <laughs> I'm not that type of that type of person. So <laughs> Laura, but no, I do get a bit of sweat, a bit hot and sweaty. It's very surprising. You leave the door freezing, and then the time you get, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm fucking warm. So I was just going to say, like with the hills, basically the takeaway of that is, you know, if you are training within a certain zone, even if you're not even necessarily on a hill or simulating that you're, you know, doing it, well, I say not simulating, you know, riding up a hill, but as long as you're putting a certain amount of power for and training for a certain zone, then that that application will just carry over to when you are going up hills anyway, as long as they just get over that mental aspect of, oh shit, I'm going up a hill. It's it's like someone going into the gym and, you know, trying to squat 100 kilograms and they've never exposed themselves to 100 kilograms before yeah, and then wondering yeah. why it's so difficult it's like well it's so difficult because you've never done it before like your body does not know what is going on you know obviously it doesn't have the extreme outcome you're as less likely to get injured but it's you know still your body just going you've never given me a period of acclimatization time to this effort you're just expecting me to be able to do it obviously the more you do it the more your lactate threshold will go up and that's where we use tools like the walk bike and stuff to measure those improvements you know, you yeah. can get real nerdy and you know, measure blood lactates and stuff as well, but you can estimate them through tools like the walk bike. It's amazing, I think, how much technology there is behind cycling. Mm. I think people realise it. It definitely sounds like it and how much, as you said, it's very, what be the word for it? Like it's, It does come to very fine margins, you find, especially at the pro level. Yeah, but you know what? I, I think it's uh, I think it's dripping in everywhere. Like Because even I look at diet, you know, so central to what you lads do. And it's just this debate on like, you know, what's the best diet? You know, it was low carb, is it, you know, paleo diet, caveman diet, all these different. But it's like, we have an answer to this. Like you can prick your finger, send it off to a company like 23andMe and they will send you back and tell you what diet you're genetically predisposed to get the best results from. You know, we talked about the Sardinian diet. They're very genetically predisposed to eating, you know, a certain type of Mediterranean food. You know, maybe my ancestry or heritage is different to that. If I try and eat that same diet, I could be fat as fuck. But using, you know, technology and, you know, this is all the stuff we're, you know, advocating inside the coaching company. You're using technology to, you know, shortcut. And you, so you don't have to try 15 different diets. 
your results are coming back and saying, okay, here's your heritage. You're most likely to get the best results from using this philosophy. And then you can go all in on that philosophy rather than spend the next 10 years trying Atkins diet, paleo diets, yeah, all, all the buzzwords. Yeah, I get what you mean. Also, those blood things, I've noticed they're quite good at um, identifying if people are um, lacking in certain nutrients, I find. A lot of people have done them. They're like, oh, shit, this is why I feel like fucking crap because I've not been eating any of this. Um, so it's actually quite a good little recommendation. If you are thinking, oh, I just feel like this all the time I can never perform, maybe get a blood test and just see, you know, what's actually going on under the hood. Yeah, especially we, we'd be quite good, uh, especially the upper levels of cycling, at tracking uh, oxygen is carried in red blood cells. So you obviously want your red mm. bloods inside certain parameters. You know, This was the, the center of doping worldwide where they were manipulating hemocrit figures to be at a certain level. But the, the you know, everyday layman application of that is, you know, is your hemocrit you know, shocking? Because if it's shocking, we need to, you know, have a lifestyle and eat certain foods in a way that bring our hemocrit up into normal levels so we can otherwise you're training and you're just digging yourself into a hole um, and one more uh, from that question anthony we'll finish on is going upstairs that seems to be a problem Oops. for people with bikes going upstairs like running up them or just carrying your bike up the stairs i don't know i'll ask you tom you ask the question mate <laughs> <Do you know>? <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was a genuine question then i didn't realize it was my own one um yeah. I, I when i wrote that the first thing i thought of was like i bet it'd be really hard to actually ride a bike up the stairs but when you actually read that out to me and i was thinking oh shit is it a genuine question i thought i wonder if they talk about like when they're trying to like get on the tube like with their yeah. with their bike and they're trying to like run over the barriers and get up the stairs quickly with their bike so uh I don't think we can answer this properly. <laughs> there is disciplines within cycling where I'm not sure if you guys have heard of cyclocross, but cyclocross is yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, like an off-road thing that happens massive in Belgium, France, the European countries. Like hundreds of thousands of people could be out watching some of these races all winter. But a part of that will be they'll put a stairs into this 60-minute race, and you have to shoulder your bike and literally sprint up the stairs. So, Tom, you could learn a lot of techniques for your tube from that. You, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I've seen a video of something very similar there. Yeah, it probably might have been the um. We've we've got a lot of listeners who are into a CrossFit. It uh, might have been they, a CrossFit. They did, they did it at the cross. Yeah. yeah, they did it at the CrossFit Games. They That's did like eight bells and to like jump over these hail bells of the bike, obviously, the, and then ride off again, then jump over a wall. So, and, so now it's a serious question, you see, because who knows what's yeah. going to be on the uh, next CrossFit Games? You know, where you have got like yeah. cycle a certain amount, and then CrossFit Games is a bit like the egg and spoon race could be on it next time out. Yeah, it could be, yeah. Egg and spoon followed by a bike ride, followed by you got to get your bike across a lake. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows, yeah. Oh, the gloves are off. (laughs) The gloves are off across it, aren't they? Yeah, wow. Um, I think think we'll leave it there, though. Uh, Anthony, it's been great having you on, mate. It's been a very sort of fun, very interesting conversation as well. I think you're the the first cyclist we've had on. Mm. And it's very interesting to get your perspective from it. And it's good fun as well. So I'd recommend if people are listening and they've sort of, they like your vibe and they want to learn more about cycling, definitely check out Roadman Cycling because you do one every day, isn't it? Five days a week, is it? Five days a week, yeah. We're awesome. Regrettably five days a week. (laughs) It's It's a toll. Uh, but the listeners want it now yeah so we're trying to bring in interviews uh, twice a week now so it's kind of breaking up the you know the monotony of the solo cast uh, and you know what it, it's interesting because you can't help but like I'm chatting to because the podcast has got to a level now where I'm getting a lot of really good inbound stuff from amazing authors you know amazing athletes and you're getting a chat with just world class operators and you can't help but let that challenge the opinions that like opinions that i'd have on sport on conditioning on mindset and i hold those opinions as fact until i hear these world experts challenging them and going fuck that is 
food for thought now let me revise mm. my opinion there's an Irish author and he has a, a quote saying I have strong opinions held loosely and I think that's me now after chatting with all these lads that's, that's, literally, that's literally our podcast Anthony we, we literally attack common like stick there's yeah. loads of stuff out. We're, we've done we've done a series recently which we've just started we're only a couple of episodes in called is it bad for you and we're looking at things like the one we did first artificial sweeteners we did we've done MSG and salt and we just literally look at what the, the actual science is saying and then challenge these sort of common interpretations of what these things are they actually bad for you um, and I think as you said yeah people have very strong opinions on certain things and it's not until you actually explore this stuff like I've seen an interesting one on TikTok where someone had a protein bar I can't remember what brand it was mm. and they're like what's better for you mcdonald's cheeseburger or this protein bar and they broke it down it turns out the mcdonald's cheeseburger is like higher in protein lower in calories cheaper <laughs> less additives yeah it's crazy it's crazy isn't it it's, it's, it's all to do with like i think social media has something to blame it's like there's a lot of stuff out there you, you just you think like we're in our heads like this is the way things are this is better for you this is good this is a very lot of black and white thinking i find at the moment online problem with social media is that you can't really convey a nuanced message in like a, a caption with a very very small character limit etc sure and social media is designed to basically just catch your attention and that is the end of it you know it, so it can be very hard what to, you guys do yeah. because you're exploring these topics in long form so there can be less room for interpretation because you can come back and yeah clarify an issue from 15 different directions yeah. Like, yeah. If you take something like Lucas Ed's Sports, you know, the marketing for that is borderline for me should be nearly illegal because all, <laughs> all the marketing for it's like these fit chicks, good looking chicks, good looking lads, Premier League footballers drinking Lucas Ed's Sport. Like, my fat mates are nailing Lucas Ed's Sport at home watching the footy. <laughs> like, it's people that have yeah. the flu at home that are drinking Lucas Ed, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. man flu. I mean, if they change its name to man flu juice, I'll, I'll be fine with that. <laughs> the junkies here love it as well. <laughs> well they're not injecting it are they oh Fuck god yeah, <laughs> I hope not get, off. get that shit straight into it. the bloodstream yeah. yeah who knows eh? oh god anyway um, yeah thanks for honest Anthony hope you've had a, you've enjoyed that your exposure to a bit of, bit of chat and shit and getting fit <laughs> as we like to do on a weekly basis Lads, thanks for chatting no it's been awesome. a pleasure Anthony great chatting to you as always, thanks for listening. If you are new around here, we'd love for you to stick around and get stuck into our vast back catalogue. We explore numerous topics ranging from diets to myths to supplements to recovery methods, plenty more guests and plenty of one-off specials covering topics such as barefoot shoes, CBD, top tips and festive specials. So hit that subscribe slash follow button on your podcast app and hopefully you'll be joining us again very, very soon. We will see you next week, same time, same place for a brand new episode. See you soon.